welcome to the Judge Tower podcast, a niche podcast about an already niche game. Yeah, My I have no idea why we're doing this. I don't honestly. know. Either. Yeah, no idea. My name's Jan. You do not know me. And with me, the one, the only, Sam, Humble Greek, Cephalus. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, for those who also don't know me, which is probably all of you, uh, I am a level two judge out of Calgary, Alberta. Um, got back into magic around Theros block, RTR, uh, and Jan came under my wing as a L1 judge, uh, about a year and a half ago now, I want to say. Uh, correct. Yeah. And I started around Nemesis block. Wow. But I am still bad at the game, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, before we begin, uh, let's move to our sponsor. Oh, yeah. uh, sponsored today by literally nobody. Absolutely no one would want this. Thank you to literally nobody Thank for you very much. allowing us to do this. We could have done this without you. <laughs> and we did. We so, did. Uh, just like any good tower, you need to lay a solid foundation so let's let's go over what exactly the format of Judge Tower in Magic yeah. the Gathering is. is. We use the word format pretty loosely. It's uh, it's it, an, it's an experience. It's an experience. Judge Tower is basically it's kind of like Magic, but it's not really Magic. It's like the Hearthstone Battlegrounds to Hearthstone. It's like <laughs> it uses it uses the same mechanics and cards, but it's an entirely different game, right? You um you basically have a big pile of cards. The way the game functions is basically around learning rules and interactions and kind of keeping track of board states as opposed to actually playing the game in the way that we might be used to. Correct. And uh, it's, it sounds daunting. Um, and if you're new to the game, it, it can be pretty, uh, pretty overkill in a way. But... Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a good way to get a grasp of the rules of absolutely. Magic the Gathering. So, for the day, it's also for fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, or pain. Or pain. Or, or pain. It is a. It's a good way to kill. Uh, to kill some time. To uh, have some fun with some buddies at like in between rounds at a big event or after a big judge conference. Uh, everyone will always be down for some Judge Tower. Usually, more experience. Yeah, so let's let's dig into the rules here. Rule one, you you gotta alter the comprehensive rules of of the game. So, if the Judge Tower rules and the regular Magic the Gathering rules conflict, the Judge Tower rules takes precedence. Your starting hand is not seven; it's equal to your Judge level. So Sam is a level two Judge. He starts with a hand size of two. I'm a level one Judge. I start with a hand size of one and if you're not a judge you do not have a starting hand size. Um, you have infinite life you share a graveyard and a library this gets a bit confusing with ownership um, basically <laughs> every player owns every card in the graveyard and in the library um, if something would affect quote unquote your graveyard everyone else ignores the effect yeah uh, so you become the owner of a card when you're the first player to have it enter your hand. 
the battlefield or the exile zone under your control. Moving on to the next uh, rule here. Whenever a player activates an ability of an object, that player may not activate that ability again until the beginning of their next turn. Uh, noting here that a permanent that changes zones becomes a new object. It's a pretty uh, big deal, actually. It is. With some Activated abilities and, and all that is one of the ways you can die the most. If the game would enter an infinite loop of mandatory actions, then all objects involved in the loop cease to exist and the game continues as normal. So you just get rid of everything and pretend it never happened. The only way to win or lose the game, uh, you don't die from combat damage, obviously, uh, is through something called shame rules. State-based actions that would cause a player to lose, those just don't occur. And effects cannot make players win or lose the game. So basically... Combat damage, stuff like reveling riches, all of that, uh, like win the game, lose the game text, irrelevant. Uh, we'll get into shame rules and some of the variations that, that we implement a bit later. Uh, all players are considered able to pay any and all costs involving payments of mana and life, uh, with the exception of like discarding a card for like tormenting voice or something like that. Players may not choose to take mulligans during the start of the game. However, this, is, this does not prevent effects that take place anytime you uh, could mulligan from occurring. All right. So from hearing all those, you're probably thinking, well, I can probably just do nothing and just stay alive, which is kind of boring and also not part of the rules because we're going to get into the next part. Uh, basically explaining you have to do everything as soon as possible. Um, so step one. Players may not pass priority if there is another legal game action they could take instead. This just means, like, as soon as you can do something, you gotta do it. Whether that's casting an instant in your draw step, uh, activating an ability that can only activate it in combat in, like, the declare attacker step. Uh, the, the moment you can do something, you have to do it. As soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, if a spell or ability requires a player to choose X, they must choose five. So stuff like Fireball, uh, Banefire, any of the Hydras that have X in their mana cost. Whatnot. Sphinx's Revelation. Sphinx's Revelation. Yeah. Yes. This includes uh, abilities as well. Mm -hmm. um, if a spell or ability allows a player to choose a number of targets, that player must choose the greatest number. So go big or go home. Yeah. Uh, all creatures attack each combat if able. All creatures block each combat if able. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Uh, if an effect gives uh, a player an option to perform an, ap an action, typically uh, using words such as may or unless, that player must perform that action. Uh, that confidant, you have to... It's not a man ability. That's the whole joke. So, well, <laughs> it, it doesn't explicitly say... All maze are musts. It's basically right. like you, you, you do as much as you can. Um, and finally, if a player has mana in their mana pool, that player must use that mana for the first cost it can be used for. So yeah. just spend it immediately. Uh, then we have the next section here, some ordering rules. Uh, before we actually move on to that, uh, all these rules we just listed, these as soon as possible rules, these are all ways you can actually go about losing the game. So not taking some of these actions, not attacking with everything, not blocking with everything you can. These are all grounds to uh, earn a shame point. 
In these ordering rules, the first one here is that when a player can take multiple game actions, you may choose which action to take first. So if it's my draw step and I've drawn, I have a replacement effect that lets me draw two cards and I draw two instants. Uh, obviously, I can't cast them both at the same time because that's not how the game functions. So I get to choose the order in which I cast them. When a player can activate mul multiples ability of a card, they must activate them in order from the last ability to the first on the card. Any abilities granted to the card by the other effects are assumed to be placed on the bottom of the card. So this just means if you take a card like a Warden of the First Tree, it has a bunch of activated abilities. And if you can, you have to activate them in bottom of order. And then if you somehow give it another activated ability, that's assumed to be under all of that in the order that you granted them. Mm -hmm. um, to, to dig a bit further into this, um, cards like Planeswalkers, um, generally you have to activate um, the minus ability because usually Planeswalkers don't come in with enough to activate their ult. So uh, stuff like that. Um, and like auras are a way for giving creatures abilities. So like arcane teachings basically makes any creature a prodigal pyromancer. So you gotta activate that tap to ping ability before anything else. Uh, as far as ordering is concerned, when a player has to make a choice between objects in the graveyard or library, that player must choose the object or objects closest to the top of that zone. So if you have, like, a, I believe the card is Mystic Retrieval that lets you return an instant or sorcery to your hand, uh, you must choose the instant or sorcery that is closest to the top of the, uh, of the graveyard. All right. So now we move on to the shame rules. Number one, the shame counter starts at zero. Yeah, so basically the, the way shame counters work is if you violate a rule of either the Judge Tower rules or the Magic Comprehensive rules, uh, that an, an object related to the violation is moved into that player's anti-zone and becomes part of the group of objects known as the shame pile. Basically, the quote anti-zone just holds all the cards that you uh, that got you, and they it works as like a counter almost like you. That's how you keep track of the amount of shame points you have. It becomes a part of the group of objects, objects known as the shame pile. Yeah, increment the shame counter by one. So, like I said, you can just use the cards to, to track them. Uh, if multiple players break a rule of a single card, then the player closest to the active player places that card into his or her shame pile, and all other players who broke the rule place a shame token into their shame pot. A shame token has no types, no name, and no abilities. It does not cease to exist until all players stop playing. Then you increment the shame counter by one for each player who broke the game rule. Um, if a player misrepresents free or derived information, uh, that player places a shame token into their shame pile, and you increment the shame counter by one. If you misspeak about like how many cards you have in your hand, that that is a shame token into your shame pile there. Just like in real magic, where we give out warnings or. More severe effects. Lastly, or second lastly, I should say, when the shame counter is equal to equal to or greater than the number of players times four, so if you have four players, it's 16, then you basically reset the game. Uh, you move everything into exile. All objects in each player's shame pile remain with that player. The shame counter resets to zero. 
Each player draws a new opening hand, and the player who is seated to the left of the previously active player becomes the new active player. The players go through the pregame procedures, and then they begin to play normally. So that's just a way, like, if things kind of are getting too crazy, it's just everything blows up, and you just kind of start over. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and then lastly, for real this time, if a player would or shame counter, they do not receive it until all other players point it out with an explanation as to why. And that's, that's just part of the learning process right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to end the game, uh, if you would try and draw from the empty library instead, the game would end, and then the winner is the person with the fewest number of objects in their shame zone. So Oof. that's a lot of rules. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, uh, maybe we can like do a summary of that. Yeah. So basically, basically, you're drawing cards, you have access to like every cost that you could pay. Um, and your goal is to do everything as soon as you can uh, without committing any sort of game infractions or breaking any of the Judge Tower rules. Uh, in this, quote, format, stuff like drawing cards and, and all that is actually a detriment. You want the least amount of stuff going on as possible. You want none of that value, that sweet, sweet value. Uh there are some rule variants. The whole, all the shame counter stuff is, it kind of adds a lot to the game. Um, the way I typically have, or the way I learned to play and the way I have played it is just that once you commit one of these infractions, whether that be a judge tower rule or a comprehensive rule, uh, you just kind of sit out for the round until everyone has committed uh, an error and then you just restart the game. Uh, so you're not really keeping track until you get through the whole deck. Um, it's more just for fun, and the rounds kind of feel more fast-paced, less chaotic at points, even though it can get pretty chaotic if people are on top of it. Absolutely. So that's a lot of rules, and the format's not really, like, well-known. So, like, why, why, would, you, why would you play this quote-unquote format? Um, there are a few reasons. Um, the, the main one here is, is learning rules and policies. It's fine if you want to read like the magic comprehensive rules and whatnot, but honestly, the the best way to to stick those rules in is just playing, and this really gets you deep into the gameplay as fast as possible. It has a lot of cards that that kind of are are oddities in the magic rules that you might not see a whole lot of. This gives people an opportunity to see a, a lot of wacky and zany cards that they might not see in regular like day to day magic. It's essentially a way to have you pay attention to what's going on. Uh, as though you were taking a judge call in a format you might not be familiar with, right? You kind of need to assess everything uh, that's new to you or that you haven't seen before and do your best to figure out how the interactions work based off of either other interactions you know of or just the rules or other things you've seen. It's it's just a way to kind of familiarize yourself with when things get weird. Uh, it's also a really good way to learn the... Uh, structure of a turn for example and when you can actually take actions such as like you can't take can't typically take actions other than untapping your lands in the untap step 
uh, you can't you can't do things in the cleanup step unless something goes on the stack, right? Like uh, uh, get rog monster. Is yeah, probably the uh, the cream of the crop when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, discard the hand size, and then uh, and then suddenly you have a, a trigger on the stack, and you can do things on cleanup. Yep. Um, Judge Tower also a great way to uh, learn how to keep track of many different objects interacting at once. Yeah. This is actually an extremely good way. Um, it's not just for judges. If you're just a, a player looking to get better, Judge Tower is actually a, a really fine way of doing it. Um, not missing your triggers, uh, keeping track of interaction, seeing lines that you might not see. These are all things that you can get out of Judge Tower. And also keeping track of what your opponent's doing too, right? Like that's oh, part yeah. of the game is that you need to be the one who calls it out if your opponent makes an error. Uh, like keeping track of what your opponent is doing helps you like not only learn their interactions, but also gets you in that habit of making sure everything is up to par when you don't really know what's going on. Ask, ask good questions. Uh, make sure you're on the same page and make sure your opponent isn't just storming off with a bunch of extra mana for no reason. <laughs> Absolutely. And and um, if you if you want, you can with every loss that might happen or every shame counter that's added, you can see like what what the correct fix or uh, penalty would be if you were to actually be judging this this game. Mm-hmm. Um, also, less important reasons you like seeing people be miserable. Uh, yep. You like being miserable yourself. Love it. You really miss playing with Oko, Thief of Crowns, and Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, in the same deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all of us should be. So let's get into like some of the different ways you can build towers and the ways you can make it kind of unique to your to yourself. Uh, we do have two two broad kind of what directions you can take it here the first one is a tower that's geared towards learning the rules so you have um like a bunch of tricky cards with interesting and unique interactions that uh maybe not always relevant but still good to know and obviously there are some relevant ones there uh or you can just build it into absolute degeneracy and make the game about who can survive the longest uh, through a bunch of BS. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and and there's there is a lot of overlap. Like obviously absolute degeneracy uh, comes with some of the the cards that have complicated rules interactions. But then you start looking at cards like Forced Fruition or Beck and Call that um, really you don't lose the game because you made an error. You lose the game because you drew you drew this card that made you draw like 12 cards in a turn and it was impossible to keep track of. I mean, some could say that that is an error, you know, but right. not, yeah, maybe not the error. Maybe not the error. Just don't draw it next time, I guess, right? Yeah. That, that, it's more, more skillful players will not have drawn the card. Right. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's let's dig into the first one a little bit here. So like, yeah. geared about learning rules, right? Um. The cards that have like uh, rules text like activate only as a sorcery, right? Yeah. Um, 
that that really teaches you about like when you can cast things or when mm-hmm. you can activate stuff like that. Um, replacement effects, um, especially multiples at once. Yeah. Stuff like uh, layers. Yeah, layers. Triggers, I think, is probably one of the biggest, right? Like having multiple triggers at the same time and learning how those work with each other and what order they can resolve in and how it makes a difference how you stack them. And like there is a lot of triggers <laughs> that yeah. will always happen. And triggers are such an important part of the game, right? So. They are. Learning about learning when or when a trigger does or does not happen, honestly, is like yeah, is pretty big. Absolutely. When, when you can, um, when you can play spells, so passing priority and all that. Yeah, how priority even works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, like, honestly, if you're an intermediate player looking to kind of broaden their game, then uh, I, I don't know if Judge Tower would be my first choice. Maybe like just play more constructed or limited instead. But like, no, nah, go for it. Go, go, just, go just for, go, the for way. It. go for the zany stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we, we kind of covered absolute degeneracy here, so it's different, right? Like it's, it's different. It, it, it's something you can bring with you to events, and everyone can kind of take a break from the competitive environment, or even just the constructed environment, and just kind of you can have a group of eight people and just have an absolute cluster of degeneracy and just have a good time, right? Like it's it, it's not competitive. It's about learning and having fun and and all that right absolutely so where do you start where do you start uh there are a few ways um if you look on the internet there are people with lists that you can definitely uh look into um cube tutor and cube cobra they're pretty big websites for uh for obviously cubing uh cube cobra over the years has grown pretty exponentially Um, if you search up like Judge Towers on Cube Cobra, yeah. I'm sure you'll find something. There's someone on Reddit as well. Like I have one uh, yes. list online. It's not fully updated, but I think the best way, honestly, to start your own Judge Tower is just look through the cards you have for things that are interesting. You don't have to use anything expensive, right? Like scour your common boxes, scour common boxes at your LGS. Right? Like just look for stuff that has a bunch of words on it. Don't you don't even have to read it. You just put it in there and see how it works, right? Like especially the old commons. Yeah. Those old some of the old commons are incredibly wordy yeah. for like one small effect. It's like deadly dead ringers or or like ghastly demise. Those are both yeah. quite old cards. Um they both try and kill creatures and they both don't make it easy on you. <laughs> Um, so stuff like stuff like that. If it has a bunch of words, um, read it. And if you have to read it again, might be a good uh, might be a good one for Judge Tower. Yep. Uh, if you feel invested, you can start buying quote unquote staples. There's no real staples, no. Uh, but there are cards that are expensive and also incredible in the format. Like riding the Delia horse is an expensive card, but it is absolutely hilarious. It's also stuff like mana maze. Mana maze, yeah. Uh, not not quite as a not quite as expensive, but just as chaotic. Yeah. And of course, everyone's favorite, blind obedience. Yeah, yeah. Like when when you're when you're adding up, like when you're buying a hundred cards for a dollar or two each, right? That adds up really quickly. It does. So 
just keep that in mind. Don't don't overdo it, especially not right off the bat. Another thing you can do to make your your judge tower unique is to add a theme of sorts. I know uh, one of the people we play with who has their own tower has like a Minotaur's theme. Uh, another one has slivers. I I have changelings. Yeah, I have a historic theme built around drawing cards. Uh, that that's a listen. <laughs> <laughs> not not incorrect but yeah. stuff like stuff based around like artifacts and legendaries and yeah, yeah so i, oh, I th- like actual historic actual yeah. historic yeah, yeah. So like that that's a really good place to start actually if mm-hmm. just like in a cube if you don't really know where to start think about the themes that you want to add to your to your tower like cards that cards that you want to play with like I don't have Oko in my tower just like because I miss Oko. Not just because I miss Oko, but it just it, it fits the themes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what have we learned about Judge Tower? Not much. Not much. There's, there's, it's for a extremely niche format and yeah. an already niche game. It's surprisingly deep. Um, it is. It is a lot of fun though. I do recommend at least giving it a shot. Well, I think that wraps yeah, up with our all first that, one. I think that concludes our episode one. Uh, I do want to thank anyone who decides to listen to this. Uh, I also want to thank I want to thank you for not sponsoring us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's say you know they might not sponsor us, but like no, if not. they want to find you, yeah, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to find me, I am available on Facebook. I am in a lot of the, uh, the judge groups on Facebook as well as discord. Uh, I go by humble Greek on discord, Twitter, Instagram, maybe not that last one, um, <laughs> no. but I, I'm easy to track down. What about you, Jan? Uh, I'm a bit harder to track down, to be honest. I, I do some stuff. You can you can find some of the stuff I do at drifterswithpencils.com. I haven't made stuff in quite a while, but maybe I'll get back into it. I also stream twitch.tv slash humblegreek. Yes, there we go. Uh, with all that, I think it is safe for us to sign off. And until next time. Have a good one. <laughs>